Now this morning we are finishing off our look at Ephesians and I'll start by telling you this little story. Josh Peltz, who was 39 at the time in 2009, jumped on a US Airways flight from LaGuardia Airport in New York and he was an experienced flyer. He flew for business every second week so he would always grab the window seat on the emergency aisle if he could because it was the most comfortable. He belted up and was ready to take off and he would always kind of snooze at the start of flights because that was he was that comfortable with flying and that was all very well but soon after takeoff um, there was a loud explosion like a car backfiring and the plane jolted and there was a smell of burning machinery. Now everyone gasped and there were some screams. He said looking out of the window I could see us rollicking back and forth. It's your worst nightmare isn't it? We were so high up, the houses looked like toys and the cars like ants, but we weren't falling. So I thought, okay, one of our engines has blown, but we've got the other engine. Uh, We're returning to LaGuardia and the pilot will have everything under control. He said, I didn't realize that both engines had failed. Now you might well know this story. It was eerily quiet, he said. Everyone was assessing the situation. He, um, He could tell that they weren't turning around to return to LaGuardia. He knew that they were heading for the water. And so he started saying goodbye to his wife and his children and his head. And then the captain came over and said, this is the captain, brace for impact. And he said, it got very clear after that. I shouldn't be thinking about dying. I should be thinking about what we're going to do when this plane lands on the water. So he grabs for the, you know, the old laminated card in the seat back that talked about what to do to get the emergency door open, which was right next to him. So he said, I I sat in this seat. I have to take responsibility for getting the door open. So at 300 feet, he starts reading the instructions for how to get the door open. There were six steps and he said he read them through two or three times and tested himself. Now, this is this is a man who does well under pressure. Obviously, he tested himself on each step and tried to envisage himself opening the door. Then they crash landed on the water. And he said it felt like the worst car wreck you could imagine. We bounced and skidded to a halt. Now, you would know, if you know this story, this was landing on the Hudson. And he said to himself, um, he looked around, there were injuries. uh, People weren't coming through this crash that well. But he thought to himself, this plane is sinking and we have to get everybody off. He said, I managed to get the door open. I grabbed the hand of the woman next to me and they went out onto the wing of the plane right to the end to allow room for other people to be out there. And he said the the cold February air was piercingly cold and the waves were lapping over the wings. This was a very precarious situation. He said it felt like an hour until the ferry boat came to rescue them. He said it was no longer than 10 minutes. But what an extraordinary situation, that instability of being on this wing of the plane, not knowing how long it's going to take to sink. He said, I got through it by taking it one step at a time. What is the immediate next thing I need to do? And the next, I just kept on doing that until we reached solid ground and got into the ferry terminal. And then I talked to my wife. Only then did I go into the men's bathroom and let myself cry for a few minutes. You might have seen the movie associated with that landing on the Hudson, but incredible story. And it's interesting, isn't it, that this is a seasoned flyer. This is someone who was very calm, coasting through, thinking this would be another ordinary flight. That might be how you have felt leading up to this pandemic, is that 
Um, life is fairly cruisy. It may not have been, but for many of us, life was reasonably cruisy. And then, bam, like that explosion or that felt like that car wreck, everything has been turned upside down. And we have assumed we've been on stable, solid ground, and maybe we weren't. Maybe it can feel as precarious at times as being in that that plane that's shaking or being on that wing waiting for rescue. And we all know that the answer to stability is to stand on the solid rock that is Jesus. But that's easy to say, isn't it? And quite difficult to understand and to put into practice. Because the reality is we do put our trust in other things. I guess it's how much we put our trust in other things. So for many people, that's family. We put our trust in family and and put all our eggs in that basket. But if you've been around a little while, you know, know that family will let you down and you will let them down and not everything is as stable as it might seem. For many of us, the, um, the reality of how reliant we are on money only really comes to our understanding when we don't have enough of it. And for you, perhaps your income's been affected by the pandemic, or it could be just that you're on the brink for whatever reason. So we don't realize how much we rely and, and think our stability comes from money until we don't have it. So that is not a stable ground. You might think, like many people think, education is the key to stability because really education is our way out. It's our way out of the pandemic. It's our way out of the, the, the um, global warming. If we can just arm ourselves with enough information, that is solid ground. That is a way to improve and change the world. Except, and education is super important, except for the fact that Every generation seems to change their mind to some extent on what the answer really is. So each generation says, um, we've got the stable ground you need to stand on. Here's the information you need to arm yourself with. And the next generation says, no, no, they didn't quite get it right, but we've got it right. That will continue until the end of time. So education is important, but it's not the solid, stable ground that we sometimes imagine it to be. It could be a great experience. So music, travel, how many of us are missing travel as that thing that we can look forward to? Sport, that's the classic at the moment. Nicole McDermott, who you might have watched jump in the long jump last night, silver medalist. um, She's got this website. She's a, a person of faith. And in the first sentence on her website, it says, in the pursuit of sporting success, there was a large turning point in my career when I realized that no gold medal could bring lasting satisfaction to my heart. Here's someone at the pinnacle of their career going, it's not stable ground. So we know all these things in our head, but sometimes the reality of how we live day to day, we are putting our trust and our faith in in something that is quite fragile. And so let's have a look at how we can find more stable ground in chaotic times. Whether you're a person of faith who has been growing in that faith for many years, or whether you're someone who's just tinkering on the edges, wondering about what faith is. Now, as we've talked through Ephesians, we've done it in a fairly linear way. We've skipped over a lot of parts because obviously with limited time and also with all the jerky movements of online and in person, 
we've done this linear journey skimming across the the top so to speak but now we're actually kind of making it a circle because I thought given our current situation I actually want to come back to the start and the verse that we're going to look up and Raph will put up a slide for this is Ephesians 1:18, which we have looked at before but I think it's worth the wrap up with this I pray it says there that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So in the last few minutes of this service, I would like to look at four things. In this section of Paul's prayer, remember this is Paul's prayer at the start of Ephesians, there are four things that we can look at. One, he prays that God would open the eyes of their heart. Secondly, that we would know the hope to which he's called us. Thirdly, that we would know the riches of his glorious inheritance. And fourth, that we would know his incomparably great power for us who believe. Now, first of all, the eyes of your heart being enlightened. You might think, well, that happened for me back in 1974 when I came to faith. And that may well be the case. Or you might be, as I said, on that tinkering on the edges of faith, not sure what that means. But for some of us, there is this unstable ground despite that enlightenment. And that is because sometimes we still feel like our faith is fragile because we're fragile, because we are so undeserving of the faith that Jesus has handed us. So John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress, if you're old enough to remember that book, wrote a whole series of books. And he wrote a whole book on the verse in John 6.37, which says, All those the Father gives me, says Jesus, will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That is solid ground, isn't it? Dane Ortland summed up some of the thoughts from this book. Uh, by John Bunyan, by, by giving this little interaction between us and Jesus, this little hypothetical conversation, and it goes like this. No, wait, I say cautiously approaching Jesus. You don't understand. I've really messed up in all kinds of ways. I know, Jesus responds. You know, most of it, sure, more than others do, but deep down there's a shame that's hidden from everyone. I know it all, says Jesus. Well, the thing is, it isn't just my past, it's my present too. I understand. But I don't know if I can break free anytime soon. Jesus says, that's the kind of person I'm here to help. Yeah, but you don't get it. My offenses are directed not only towards others, but they're also against you. Then Jesus said, I am the right person to be dealing with that sin. But the more of the ugliness in me you discover, the sooner you will get fed up with me. And then Jesus looks at me in the eye and says, whoever whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That is solid ground. We might be tinkering on this sense of, look, at some point he will probably push me aside. But John One, when Jesus is speaking, assures us that when we come to him, he will never cast us out. That is solid ground. 
May your heart be enlightened to fully take in the brilliance of Jesus' gift to you. Two, know the hope to which he has called us. There's some question among theologians as to whether this hope is talking about the hope we feel when we consider all that Jesus has provided for us, or whether it's more an objective hope that God has provided us with, that objective objective hope that comes through the cross. Let's say it's both, because it is both. God has done the heavy lifting and he's provided a way to freedom and to solid ground. But you might think, similar to this first thing we talked about, you might think that you have to be the one gripping that hope. The hope's been provided to you, but you've got to hold on tight to it. That you're not good enough to stay close to Jesus and you're in this constant drift away from him. Again, that being on solid ground is kind of reliant on you. So I want to show you this photo in relation to this point. Here are two boys two cute little boys sitting on a trike in the middle of the road. These two little boys you may recognize, and I have asked permission for this photo because they are both in nappies here. This is Caleb and Isaac when they were little guys, and here they are. They actually don't look like they're having that much fun, do they? I think we caught them on the hop, but they are enjoying this play on this bike. Um, Caleb is the rider and Isaac is the conductor, the position he's always happiest to be in. So you might think to yourself, who in their right mind lets two toddlers out in the middle of the road when any kind of car or traffic or that car in the background behind could reverse out, who in their right mind would leave them unattended and unsafe like that? But sometimes you've got to zoom out, don't don't you? Sometimes you've got to look at the bigger picture. And if if you show the next slide, Raph, here is the next picture, which is um, Mosh standing there with terrible sandals on can I I have to call that elephant in the room I don't know when you thought they were a good idea Mosh and and I see Caleb's got matching sandals as well but let's push that aside if we can here is Mosh poised ready to protect these two boys here he is looking at one eye for traffic and one for the boys who might you know fall skim over a rock or whatever it is whatever kind of safety issue there is he is poised and ready to protect them. And I love this photo. Bad quality as it is and sandals aside, it is a great photo because sometimes we think that our relationship with Jesus is based on the fact that we need to be gripping onto his hand. If you've ever held a little child's hand, you know that they think they are gripping on with all their might. But if they try and wriggle out of it or if they lose energy and can't hold on anymore, As an adult, you are holding on much more firmly than they're holding to you. Jesus is poised and ready to be watching over you. Your relationship with him is not solely based on your ability to cling on to him. It's him who is clinging on to you. Thirdly, Paul prays here that we would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. What the heck does that mean? Let me start by giving you this little little gem. This I brought back from um, Perth. We were packing up some of mum's stuff. She's still alive and well. But moving into a nursing home, we had to pack away a lot of her treasures. And we all chose little things that we could take. And I just wrapped this in a bit of newspaper and brought it all the way across the Nullarbor and back here. I only realised um, on Friday by 
accident really, that this actually belonged to my grandmother before it belonged to my mum. So it's very old and a brilliant inheritance for me, something that I can remember my mum and my, my nana by, and I love it. And you might think to yourself, when it talks about inheritance there, it's talking about all that we gain, all the beautiful things that we gain as we come to a knowledge of Jesus. And you would be absolutely right. It's the things we gain now, the Holy Spirit and the peace of Jesus and that solid ground and what we gain after we die. All true. But there is a second way of looking at that verse. And that is to suggest that not only do we receive an inheritance, but actually we are the inheritance. This is a profound and beautiful truth to grab hold of this morning that we are the inheritance. Deuteronomy 32.9 says, For the Lord's portion is his people. You are that treasure. Or if you want to look at it slightly less blingy, the door's about to ring, Raph. Someone's at the door. <laughs> Let's hope the dog doesn't go nuts. This is what my dad had on his desk in, um, in Sydney on his bank manager's desk. And it's this lighter and... Bay brought this home as a um, as his inheritance, if you like. I prefer to think that I am that to God. I am sturdy and plain and useful. However you look at it, we are an inheritance. We are the people of God. He considers us his inheritance, his family. And if that doesn't blow you away, that he would consider us that important, that is an amazing truth and it is stable ground to stand on. Lastly, the thing that we need to remember, Paul prays that we would know the incomparably great power for we who believe. Um, so that is an incredible truth and one which we probably have a bit of trouble coming to terms with. I don't feel very powerful. I don't feel like every prayer I pray in, sometimes in anguish and sometimes just with passion, I don't see them all answered, so I don't feel very powerful. But I guess if we look at the life and the ministry of Jesus, we wouldn't think that was overly powerful either. We wouldn't, we wouldn't think that was overly successful. He gained these followers and it was all going well, and then they slowly all drifted away and he died on a cross. And yet we know, don't we, that that was an incredibly powerful moment, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so as we exist as God's inheritance in a broken world, we are empowered and equipped by a loving and gracious God to do the small things, but they are powerful things. It's, um, it was Kim, actually, who put a little something in my messenger this morning, and I wanted to read it. Now I've got to find it. William Wordsworth once said, and I've made it gender inclusive, so I've changed the quote. The best portion of a good person's life is their little, nameless, unremembered acts of kindness and love. Now, when you're doing those little, nameless, unremembered acts of kindness and love with the power and stability of Jesus in you and working through you, watch out world. And that's what I want to suggest as we look at what our part to play is in Eltham and beyond. What can we do with the power of God inside of us, even if those things look small 
even if those things may look insignificant at times, they are absolutely not. So we've wrapped up Ephesians and I want to give you three things to think about this week, three practical things. There are a million things, but let's just look at three little things that we might be able to do this week to remind ourselves of the solid ground that is beneath us. Read Ephesians. Read Ephesians. Some of you I know have been tracking through and reading Ephesians. Others have gone, ah, we'll talk about it Sunday. That's okay, but read Ephesians or read Matthew or read some portion of scripture. This, this is not the solid ground, but this is the story. This is the, this is the sound knowledge of a, of a solid and stable God. So read this because it is so incredibly helpful. I know sometimes if I wake up and I feel dizzy, I'm getting old, but if I wake up and I feel dizzy, the first thing I grab for is the wall and suddenly I feel steady. This is the wall. Head to it. Read it. Second thing to take away is a practical thing to do. Help one person around you. Mother Teresa famously said, never worry about the numbers as in how many you might be helping. Help one person at a time and always start with the person nearest you. With the incomparable power of God in you and working through you watch what happens thirdly go out into nature and breathe deeply seeing God in the breeze and in in the solid ground which you stand on and even if you feel unsteady know that the God who created all that is incredibly steady and sturdy and stable and that God lives in you That's an amazing fact, and that's what we're going to land on today. So let me pray for you as we continue in these very uncertain times to remember a very, very certain stable God. Father, we are grateful and thankful for your word, but not just your word, but what your word tells us, that story of love that is a thread from Genesis right through to Revelation. Continue to show us that you are stable ground and that we stand on stable ground. God, we ask that we would uh, remember that you, we not only hold you, but you hold us and that we have an incomparable power at work in our heart and our soul, not because we deserve it, but because we are your inheritance. Bless us this week, we pray, and help us to be a blessing to others. In your name, amen. We'll see you next week.